Rachel. I'm Donna. And I'm Carrie. And we are Paranormal Chicks. Episode 304. And look, y'all can probably already tell that the sound is very different this episode. And there's a reason for that. COVID done hit my house. Colby done got the COVID. We are like almost out of him being in quarantine, but still in it. So nobody's trying to risk getting COVID. So Donna's at her house. I'm at my house. So the sound is going to be a little different this episode. So bear with us. Yeah, sorry about that. I'm just using AirPods. So here we go. But we were not going to miss an episode because he's Typhoid Mary. (laughs) Right? Colby can't hold us back. No, he's supposed to be lifting us up. He's strong. Right? I mean, he has got me off the ground before. I mean, he like carries our bags and then like does things for us. That's what he's supposed (laughs) to do. Exactly. Also, if there's like a hissing noise, my computer's like overheating over here, but it's okay. Girl, my computer is moving at like glacial speed today. Like it's because we're trying to record at a distance that everybody's like, what? And by everybody, I mean the computers. Yeah. (laughs) Although, Donna, you're not missing out because I will say it is rather cold in the office. Oh, shit, no. And our heater is out at work for the past two days and everybody has been like, it's so cold. And I will say there were moments where I was chilly, but I was like, y'all, it's literally colder than this in my house. It was like 65 degrees in there. Oh my gosh. Meanwhile, everybody's like, I'm so over y'all talking about being cold in the weather. Well, Caitlin, you know, the amazing creepster who helped me out with that fan in Austin, because mm-hmm. whoo, but she lives in Montana. And this weekend with the wind chill, it's going to be Feeling like negative 40. Once you get past zero, my brain can't comprehend that. No. I was like, like I don't I would not go outside. And she was like, you don't. I was like, but what if I have to? What if I need something? She has a dog. I know. Poor Kevin. Seriously, my brain does not comprehend anything below zero. Like, how is that even a thing? Right. So we have a student at work right now that's young. And there was another guy there that was like really young. And one, this guy told the student, he sounds like, now let me know if you know what I'm about to say. Okay. You sound like 21 Savage. 21 Savage? God damn it. Of course you freaking know you youngin. I was like, (laughs) he sounds like what? And he was like, 21 Savage. I'm like, what? Say it again. Like, I was like, 21. But like, what are you saying after that? And they were dying because I didn't know what they were saying. I was like. Tony? And like when I thought they said Tony, that was it. They were like, that's his government name. Like this fucking boomer over here. Like, what? And then I figured it out what they were saying. And I still don't know who the fuck it is. And then I asked Colby and he was like, Yeah, and like started like singing a song. I was like, Yeah. Of course you freaking know. Of course. <laughs> oh God. You always fail those tests. I do. But then one of them failed the test today because somebody brought us a king cake. And we're like, hey, you want a piece of king cake? And they're like, king cake? Like K-I-N-G cake? We're like, yeah. They'd never heard of it. What? Yeah. And like from Mississippi, I'd never heard of it. I get if you're from like another state or country and you're like, what the hell's a king cake? But it's like a cake that's festive around Mardi Gras. And it's like a sugary goodness Mm. shaped like a hemorrhoid cushion. (laughs) Man, make it seem really appetizing. (laughs) 
but it is. It's so good. It's like cinnamony. And you can fill it with blueberry or cream cheese. I mean, there are other things, but the blueberry and the cream cheese. My aunt brought me one today, and it's raspberry amaretto. Ooh. It was so good. That sounds freaking amazing. It was so good. But just a plain old cinnamon, no cream cheese, nothing in it. Oh, so good. No, see, it's too dry for me that way. I love it. Y'all couldn't see her, but she rolled her eyes at me and like <laughs> shook her head. Because like. <laughs> you don't know what's good. <laughs> I'll tell you what's not good. The weather around here, because it was a blowing and a going for like that one night that Apparently we had tornado warnings or whatever, but the trees were swaying and my doorbell rang in the middle of the night. All was quiet. No fucking sound. No fucking TV on. Nothing. Just complete darkness and the fucking doorbell, which no one ever rings the doorbell besides like... Like it like rang rang. It wasn't like a, hey, somebody's at your door. Like it actually rang. Yes. Girl, that was a black eyed kid. Girl, why you have to steal my joke? Because I literally had said the black eyed. <laughs> well, I thought when you text Tiffany me that I thought it like alerted you that someone was there. No, that's very different. Yes, that's. I was like, oh shit! How did it like push the button? I have no idea, no idea. But do you know my ass? Like my whole body went numb. Like, honestly, again, You're I'm a thinking goat. Yes. yes. <laughs> I don't, I wasn't like, oh, let me get something to protect myself or, oh, let me hide. I was just like, what do I do? Like, yes. my body just was like, and Alex Mack. Like, that was it. <laughs> but I did, like, I turned my phone on and, like, on really low so I could try to see outside and stuff. And no one was there. And I was like, I don't know what's scarier. It being completely empty and, like, all I see is the outside. And I'm just waiting for someone to like pop in. Yeah. Or if I would have seen someone. I don't know. But I was like, oh. That is scary. See, this is why we're good at games together. But you always steal my thunder when I set it up. (laughs) You know what? I can never be stand-up comedian with you. Because I'd be like up on stage doing my thing. And you'd be like, oh, blah, 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 blah. Ruin it all. (laughs) You know me too well. But if you did it to me. (laughs) Oh, Lord. I would be so bad. Well, you know who's mad? What? <laughs> Patrioters? No. Well, I hope oh, not. No, I know. I don't know. I just was like, are you trying to steal my Segway? Because I stole your joke. Oh, like- <laughs> no. I can't drive a Segway. But I will tell you who's mad. The people who are finding out that their families who are like have been missing and other things, yes. they are buried at a local jail. Yes. Y'all, have y'all seen this? It's like what? 215 people, yeah. 250, so I think it's 215, 215 people have been found in unmarked graves buried behind a jail in Jackson, Mississippi, which is about two hours north of us. Wild. Like people are finding out that people that they thought have been missing, they're dead. Have been dead this whole time. Yes. So wild. I can't even process it. Like I don't even know. How this happened, right? Like, what I don't know. Like I was like, this is a joke, right? Like this can't be real because you know sometimes it's clickbait kind of stuff. And so I was like, yeah. oh no, no, it was. How did I confirm? Because under the desk on TikTok, they said it. I will say though, I have seen some people coming for them. Really? They yeah, saying which I don't. I mean, you know, TikTok drama. 
but saying like basically they don't like how they shy away from some like all this stuff going on overseas right now and they're like well that's not my area of expertise and they're like but you are a journalist you know blah 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 anyway yeah some people really don't like them though huh also did you see all the drama in miami no with like Okay, so at this Miami mall, there were all these cop cars. Like, picture, like, 50 police cars, lights and sirens, all the things at this mall. Okay. Now, conspiracy theorists say that it was 10-foot-tall aliens. I believe it. (laughs) But then they're like, oh, it was like some kids fighting. And people were like, why was there such a huge presence at this thing for just some kids fighting? Like, it was something more than that. But so people are like, oh, it's aliens. Duh, it's not aliens. But why is it 10 feet tall aliens? Why is it so specific? I don't know. But it's like all these cameras and nobody got the aliens. Well, who can get anything with those cop cars going like, woo, 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 those lights. I am just like, please don't let me run over anyone on like a traffic stop. Because when they have their lights on, I'm like, this does something to my eyes, okay? And I get why they have those lights on because, you know, the red blocks are usually at night and stuff. But you can just have them on. You don't have to have them flashing. Right. They could just be like a solid light. Yeah. But it's so funny because everybody is like, it's aliens, it's aliens, it's aliens. But it ain't aliens. But really, what was it then, though? Like, why was there? Yeah. Like, it's a cover up for something, people feel like. Yeah. The aliens are going to the mall more than me. So we hope that Patreoners aren't mad, but we can still talk about them, right? Yes, we can. Do you know on two names that I wrote down, I forgot the last letter? Oh, my God. So thank you so much, Caitlin B. from Texas. I lost my Texas You did. Samantha N. from Minnesota. Olivia S. from Ohio. Casey A. from Georgia. Anya G. from... Okay, well, I gotta say it because it's rough. Anya G. from N.C., Brenda H. from Massachusetts. And Ash S. from Australia. Thank y'all so much for joining Patreon. Look, these special peeps that aren't actually mad at us are getting an extra episode a week. So, for those of you who are like, oh my god, I'm called up. Now what do I do? Well, you join Patreon. And you're going to get an extra episode a freaking week. Not to mention the entire backlog. And there are a shit ton of episodes over there. For real, though. Well, before we get into this week's stories, we got to talk about real paper. Look, y'all, 2024 is finally here. And if you're still using conventional toilet paper in your home, I mean, that's good for you. But there's no better time to dump that stuff that contributes to deforestation. And you know what? Switch to Reels 100% bamboo toilet paper and join me in the cool club. Hey, maybe it's like New Year. I want to do more for the planet. What better way and better time to switch to real paper? Like Donna said, it is 100% bamboo toilet paper that is shipped straight to your door in plastic-free packaging. And you can sign up for a hassle-free subscription, and it comes exactly when you need it. I will say what I love about real is I have a subscription, but if something happens and like when I went on the cruise, I didn't use all the toilet paper that week, you know, so I could skip the next shipment. And that's easy because they'll text you and say, hey, your next shipment's coming up. Do you want to do anything to it? And you literally just have to hit like one or two if you want to do something to it. If not, you don't have to do anything. 
And so it's so easy that even if I forgot, like, hey, I don't need my shipment this time, it's reminding me. Yeah, it's not just going to auto ship it without doing like a check-in. Right. With real, it doesn't feel like you're sacrificing something to help the earth. It really does feel like an upgrade. It really does. And I am telling you, it is amazingly soft and strong because we all know toilet paper needs to be strong. And bamboo is a perfect material. Just think about the bamboo sheets that you've seen at hotels and all of that. That is on your bum. It is so soft and it leaves no residue. Real partners with One Tree Planted and with every box of real that you buy, they are funding reforestation efforts across the country. So unlike other toilet paper that cuts down trees, Real is helping to actively plant them. You know what? We all know that my dog likes to eat things and toilet paper rolls is one of them. And even though Real paper is very soft, very luxurious, you're getting so much bang for your buck. It's not overpriced. So I don't get super mad when my dog takes my roll of toilet paper off its holder and eats it. So if you're ready to get in on this luxury toilet paper without the luxury price tag, you've got to head over to realpaper.com slash creep, sign up for a subscription using the code creep at checkout, and you're automatically going to get 30% off your first order and free shipping. That's R-E-E-L-P-A-P-E-R.com slash creep realpaper.com slash creep. And then you enter promo code creep to get 30% off your first order plus free shipping. Let's make a change for good this year and switch to real paper. Real is paper for the planet. That's realpaper.com slash creep and use promo code creep for 30% off your first order and free shipping. So my story this week actually came from a recommendation from our BFF, Tiffany. She texted me a little while back and sent me a screenshot of a Dateline episode and was like, please do this. And I was like, oh my God, they're going to kill me with all the Dateline episodes, but I'm going to do it because this is really good. And it's Tiffany. Right. So this story is about a girl named Pepper. Now, I don't want to put the cart before the horse, but you kind of have to tell you a little bit of the story to know where to start. I don't know why, but that reminded me of Mary Poppins. I don't know. It was just like, to tell the story, you have to start from the middle. Da, 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 da. You know what I mean? It was like a weird... Start from the very beginning. Oh, is that a sound of music? No, that's Mary Poppins, I thought. No, it is sound of music. And it's same girl. Okay. Yeah. Like, she's just... Same girl. Sorry. She's an icon. So, Pepper had a really difficult life. When she was younger, she just kept going back to this memory. She remembers being... A young kid, like the age of four, and she had the most beautiful bedroom, like pink with like a canopy bed, just this beautiful bedroom with all the toys, everything that a kid could possibly dream of. Yeah, it literally sounds like what I wish my room was now. And what she remembers is that when she was this little bitty girl in this beautiful pink room, that she loved her mom. And that she and her mom spent a lot of time together and that her dad would have to work and that they would go and meet him at the ports when he would come in from his ships. She remembers being able to get dressed up and like the whole event of going to see her dad. But one day a lady comes over 
with a little girl named Renee. Renee is like a couple of years older than Pepper. Renee had come to Pepper's house to play with her with a lady named Shirley. Now, Renee and Pepper hit it off and they had such a great time. And Renee didn't want to leave when it was time to leave. But Shirley was like, it's cool. She probably didn't say that. But, you know, I'm hip. I know who 21 Savage is. Oh, yeah. She was like, look, we're actually going to take Pepper with us so we can have a spend the night party. She's going to come back with us. And then her mom will pick her up in the morning. Oh, my God. Hold on. I love that you say spend the night party because me too. And not a slumber party. I think it's because of that damn cat meme that's called is spending the night. You know, it was like, it's a slumber party. And it's, and it's like, no, it's called spending the night. And it's like one word. Oh, like no, no that's night. what I called it my whole life. Yeah, I've always said spend the night. Anyway, so Pepper and Renee leave with Shirley. And the very next morning when Pepper's mom goes to pick her up from the hotel in which Shirley and Renee were staying, they were no longer there. Oh, shit. Pepper had been kidnapped. How did she know Shirley? Like, where did Shirley come from? Girl, this is a whole story. Put that in your back pocket. We will get to it. But stick with me for now. Now, you know Tory jeans do not have a back pocket. Well, I know that you were at your house. You ain't wearing jeans. No. <laughs> I'm do not wearing anything. Have pants on? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Just kidding. I do. Uh, I know you got it some undies on because you got to have a barrier. Uh-huh. But you probably got your little shorty shorts on. I do. <laughs> Uh-huh. And your heater? Yes. <laughs> oh, no, I don't have my heater on. My my personal one? Uh-huh. No, because I didn't do want it sound. to do the sound. But, oh, I definitely have my heater up to 68. And I'm in a sweatshirt. Now, this is in, like, 1973. So you also have to remember 1973, the 80s, when you hear this story. Because there's so many things about the story that you're going to be like, wait, what? How did that even happen? Just have to remember when it happened. People just got away with shit. People didn't ask for identification. People didn't ask for things. They just got away with shit. Yeah. So Pepper clearly knew, because even though she was four, that something wasn't right. Like, that was her home, and then she went with Shirley, and now she can't go back to that home. Yeah. But she could not remember the names of her parents. And so for years, she didn't know who she was, because she started being called Pepper when she left with Shirley and Renee. Oh. Shirley told the girls, from now on, you two are sisters, and I'm your grandmother. No. If anybody asks. (laughs) You two are sisters, and I'm your grandmother. Well, she was older. No, I know. Now, Renee was kind of in the same boat as Pepper. She didn't really know what was going on either. Shirley was not her grandmother, and she had been told her whole life that her mom was named Jerry. And that Jerry was addicted to drugs and was a sex worker who didn't want Renee anymore. So Renee grew up thinking that she was unwanted, unloved, had been given to Shirley, and Shirley would hold that over her head. I'm going to send you back to Jerry, you know, like would always do these, well, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that if you are bad. Yeah. So Renee was constantly in fear of being given away or getting in trouble in some way with Shirley that was going to cause her to be abandoned again. Now, Pepper, whose new name is Pepper Smith, per Shirley, is having a really hard time with this. She, I mean, duh. She was taken from her home and at such a young age and it was constantly asking to be taken home and 
you know, Shirley kind of did some of the same things with her that she did with Renee. It was constantly this manipulation tactics to make her stay. And while they were with Shirley, they had a very hard life. They moved from state to state, hotel to hotel. They would stop at Salvation Armies for things to eat and places to stay. They had no money for anything, including food. And it was a very hard life. They would make random stops at truck stops so that Shirley could do sex work to get money for gas and food and that sort of thing. The girls were exposed at very young ages to some really hard things that nobody should have to live through. They spent a lot of time in motels where it was filled with people who were exactly what they feared that Shirley had told them they were going to have to go back to. So that was kind of part of, I'm going to send you back to Jerry. When they saw what that could be like at these motels, it had sex workers that they could hear it through these thin walls and they could hear abuse amongst people. They could hear people screaming. They could see drug activity. They could see abuse. They could see these things. And so, you know, it really makes sense that Shirley was really able to put the fear in them that they would have to go all through that without her. Yeah. And even though she's the bad guy here, she's their only protector at this point. Yeah. She's the evil they know. Right. And I mean, you have to think when this story kind of takes place, you've got Pepper, who is four or five years old, and Renee, we're talking six, seven. Like, she wasn't significantly older. These are still very small children. All I can think about, and this is so minute in comparison to this, but it's just like when you are like super happy and you're like, yeah, I want to go with my friend's parents and you know, y'all do that. And then even if it's just like getting in the car to go somewhere else and like that car door shuts and I'm like, yeah, I don't want to be here anymore. Like, I just want to be back with my mom. Like, that's what I want. You know, anytime, like, you know, spending the night, anything like that, it was like, yeah, 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 that'd be awesome. But, oh, now that it's time, nah, I'm good. Yeah. Well, and a lot of kids do that. They're great until it's time to go to bed and like the fun and the games have stopped and they're like, okay, reality's setting in, I'm having to go to bed and my mom's not in the next room and this isn't my bed and I'm not comfortable and reality kind of sets in and they want to go home. Yeah, so I can't even imagine what they are going through. And just the fear too of being put in these positions where it was so dangerous for them. You know, not only just at the hotels, but when they would stop at these truck stops for Shirley to get some money, Those two would have to hunker down in the car and wait on her. And then, you know, if she took too long or something like that, they were like, is she dead? Is she coming back? Or, you know, what do we do? And like in the Dateline episode, they talked a little bit that, you know, one time they were like, she's not coming back. Is she okay? Is she dead? And then when they went to look for her, they actually saw her like having sex with a man. And it was really hard for them. Aside from the Dateline episode, the Daily Mail had a really good article on it. In the Daily Mail, kind of like tabloidy, tabloidy, but it had a lot of the same information, but also a bunch of other good things too. And then the CBS had a good article on it too. And then, you know, there's like Reddit threads out the wazoo on this. Oh my gosh. Okay. You said CBS and at work, I was helping someone with potency issues and I typed CBS and I was like rereading my thing and I was like, yeah, yeah, wait, no, CBD. 
That's what I mean. (laughs) (laughs) CPS. Like it sounded so right to me, you know, but I was like, yeah, no. Mm -mm." And also the whole time, Shirley, of course, is telling Pepper, nobody wants you. Nobody's looking for you. All the things. But her parents did go look for her. They did report her missing to the police. Now, Renee, she did have like a birth certificate and stuff for her. So they were able to get some government assistance from Renee. But Pepper, of course, didn't have a birth certificate. So they couldn't get anything from her. But the girls really wanted to go to school. And there were some times where they were able to go to school. The Dateline episode kind of makes it sound like it was later that they were able to go. But the Daily Mail article sounds like they did kind of sporadically go to school and that you know, Pepper was kind of delayed at first because of her circumstances. And, you know, she had a hard time when she first started school because she wasn't talking like the other kids and, you know, all of these different things she was having delays with. And then they would move so often. So she would sometimes only get like three weeks in a school before they'd move. Yeah. But this is where I'm like, how was she even enrolled in a school? Yeah. No birth certificate with... No, like, transcripts from another school with none of that. Like, how? Yeah. How? Because even when we were in school, it would be like, you had to have, like, two proofs of residency and stuff. and Right. Like, all of that. Which is hard, though. But think about all the kids who are living their lives in these motels because that's where their parents are. And they don't have two bills with their parents' name on them. Right. They live in a fucking hotel paying cash. Like, they don't have that. So how do they get in schools? How do they, you know, and it's like, so like the systems are so set up for failure and we'll really be able to see this later too. But the way that the system is run, it is so set up for failure for people who are forced to live this way. Right. Who's not like, who's atypical. So weeks turned into months turned into years. And at this point, Pepper is now 12 years old. Shit. She's lived more of her life with Renee and Shirley than she has with her parents. Triple, double her life. So at this point, when, like I said, Pepper's about 12, Shirley actually takes a job at one of the motels cleaning. In exchange for this, she's going to get like a free room. So it gives them a little bit of stability in this chaotic life that they've lived. And now I will say the Daily Mail does touch on some like sexual assaults that it may like happen to the girls. So they've lived a very hard life. Yeah. And you're going to hate this part, Donna, but they talked about just like how dirty. Okay. We don't have to do it. Okay. And that she would dream about things crawling on her because they did crawl oh, on her. Oh, no. Okay. Yep. Mm-hmm. Done. So picture, like she said, you don't walk barefooted. You don't, you know, it's these, the situations in which they've been in are really terrible. Okay. So a little bit of stability. And at this point, Pepper was able to start middle school and Renee started high school. Charlie was like, don't want this, but it's fine. And it seems like Pepper really thrived. I'm not sure about Renee so much at this point. Pepper really enjoyed school and she took pride in her work and like going to school on time and that kind of stuff because, you know, she really wanted to get out of this situation because even though she didn't know what she was missing, the memory that she had, she knew she was loved and she knew that she was taken from a good situation and what was going on with Shirley was bad. 
Mm-hmm. Well, while she is 12 years old and she's starting school and all, she starts babysitting for a family in the room next door to them at the motel. And this whole time, Pepper is constantly trying to find a way out. Like she is always trying to find a way to escape this life, run away in some form or fashion. Well, the family that she was babysitting for was actually moving out of the hotel and away. And Pepper was like, this is my chance. I'm going with them. And she did. She actually left with the family from the next door room. Like, did Shirley know this or she like skedaddled without Shirley knowing? I'm not 100% sure. It seems like she left without Shirley knowing, but I don't know that for sure. Okay. But she left, like you said, the evil that she knows for an evil that she didn't know. And there was a lot of abuse and alcoholism and just an overall toxic, shitty situation that Pepper ended up leaving and going back to Shirley. Shit. So you know it had to have been really fucking bad. Yeah. And I think at some points, Pepper had... I saw this in the Daily Mail that she had some issues with substance abuse of her own, but I don't, you know, that's really the only place I saw that. So I don't know how true. So, you know, she tried to, like I said, plot all of these runaways and like escape. I should say runaway escapes. It was like she kind of always ended up back with Shirley. Now, when Pepper was 16, let me back up. She had enrolled in school under the name Rhonda Smith, not Pepper. Like, I guess they just decided Pepper was like a nickname. So she had enrolled in school as Rhonda Smith. She didn't know if that was her real name or not. Like she had no idea because she had no documentation to prove who she was. Now in the mid 80s, Pepper is 16. And this is when she actually gets out for good. But this kind of came at a price because she was leaving Renee behind. And, you know, that was her sister. I mean, you know, they weren't biological that they really knew or anything. But their whole lives, they had been telling people their sisters and that's their grandmother, you know, and they were in this together and had went through all this trauma together. And so they were a duo. Yeah. And so that was really hard for her. And she was working like waitressing jobs, like a bunch of like cash jobs too. Cause you know, one thing even said she worked at a red Robin and I'm like, how did she get that job without any paperwork? Like she didn't have a social security number for them to file her taxes and all of that. And I'm like, how did she have these jobs? But it seemed like a bunch of them were cash paying jobs. Yeah. But this is where I'm like, the system is set up to fail her because she doesn't know who she is. So how is she going to get a job? How is she going to get housing? How is she supposed to take care of herself if she doesn't know these things? Yeah. Well, not long after she had finally gotten away, Shirley gets sick and she was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And it wasn't very long after she was diagnosed that, I mean, she started the dying process. Now, Pepper and Renee, to be honest, I feel like are both in this really weird position where it's like Pepper has to kind of use this time to be like, yes, let me come feed you. Let me come help you because she's trying to pump her for information because this is her last shot to find out who she is and what happened to her life. Yeah. But on the flip side, this woman is dying that for all intents and purposes have been their mom and so i imagine that they had i mean i'm not gonna put words in their mouth but i imagine that they had some serious conflicting emotions around this time yeah so pepper is basically trying to kind of pump her for information while she's surely's on her deathbed to be like hey i want to get my driver's license and i need some information and surely be like well you know they changed the law right like it's 18 now not 16 and 
Pepper's like, got to play Shirley's game. But she also knows that's not fucking true because, you know, she went back to school and all this. So she knows all these people her age are getting their drivers. Like, like she's not stupid. Yeah. But she also has to play Shirley's game because if she's like, you're lying, it's going to shut her down and she's not going to get anything from her. And then she's going to die and she's not going to know anything. Yeah. So Pepper uses this time again to play Shirley's game. And Shirley is just not having any of it. And on July 29th of 1986, Shirley dies. She was 63 years old. And she took all of that information and all of those secrets to the grave. Oh my gosh. Like, why? I don't know. And I don't know why you would even kidnap these girls. Because, like, your life was shit with them. Like, you couldn't take care of them. You were terrible to them. Like, why did you even kidnap them? Like, what yeah. was the fucking point? You didn't get any money for ransom. You got nothing from the family. What was the point? Yeah. After Shirley died, Renee, well, I, I saw this two ways. I saw one that Renee was working and Pepper was living with her boyfriend and Renee came to live with them. And then I saw it opposite that it said Renee was like living with her boyfriend, doing her best. And then Pepper was having a really hard time. She was homeless and didn't have anywhere to turn. And so she went and lived with Renee and her boyfriend. So Pepper is at this point now, we're kind of jumping forward in like her mid-20s. And she actually has a daughter of her own. But she still doesn't know her real name, who she is, can't get a, you know, a job, all the things that we've talked about. And so she's like, I need these documents to function in life. Like, I have to make this happen. So she's contacting all of these people in the government to try to get these items. But it's like, okay, to get your social security card, you need your birth certificate. And it's like, you know, it's this never ending bureaucracy of like red tape that she's like, I can't get through because I have nothing. I don't know who I am. I think she knew her birthday. But like she didn't know anything and she could not figure it out. Like she's looking online, trying to find stuff, but like she can't figure it out. And it's also like, you know, we're talking early 90s. It's not like she can just like Google herself, you know? Right. So she's trying to find all of these things and she's just hitting roadblock after roadblock after roadblock. And it's so absolutely frustrating to her. And it makes me think about all these people who have left cults. Like they have left like the FLDS or left an Amish community or something like that. It's like they have none of those things and they have to start from scratch. You know, sometimes not speaking the language or all these things. And it's like the mountains that these people have to climb over to be able to just function away from their abusers is mind boggling. Yeah. But eventually, I, I don't know where she got the idea or if it was somebody else's idea, but Pepper found out that you could actually do an adult adoption. So somebody that she knew was like, I'll adopt you to give you a name and all those things so that you can actually start your life over. Wow. So they start the adoption process and some angel at some like bureaucratic shit is starting to do the adoption papers with her and they were like hold on let me do a little more digging because all pepper knew was that she had this life before she remembered like a name like bob or bobby and like i said her birthday and this angel started digging through all of this stuff and was like i found your birth certificate 
Oh my gosh. And so she was like, oh my gosh. Like literally what you said, like this is my story. Like this, holy shit. So she finds out her name was actually Rhonda Patricia Christie. Oh, so Shirley really did give her her real name. Yeah, the Rhonda. Yeah. So her parents were Robert and Barbara Christie. So she calls them one day. Like she gets all this. She starts getting all this information. And in June of 2010, she calls them. And Barbara is literally like dying of cancer. Oh my gosh. She calls them and they connect. And it's like, holy shit. Like basically the first thing Barbara says when she gets on the phone is, Shirley took you. We didn't give you up. Like she took you. We tried to find you. We went to the police. They didn't believe our story. Now I want to preface this with, I think there's a lot to this part of the story we don't know. And I don't think Pepper knows. And I don't think she'll ever know. So does she go by Pepper or Rhonda? Well, we'll get there. So Pepper meets the Christies and they tell her, we're actually not your birth parents. What? We adopted you. Yeah. Oh my God. This is so many layers. Right. So that's why I was like, we'll get there. So this is where it's sketch. Barbara tells Pepper that Shirley was a friend and that Shirley had said she knew this woman named Jerry Smith who had had a baby. She was a sex worker, couldn't take care of her. Do you want her? And they were like, absolutely, we want her. So Pepper had been with Barbara and Robert from the time she was three months old until four when Shirley came back and took her, which is why they let Shirley back in the house. That's how they knew Shirley. Okay. That's why I was like, how did this person who stayed in a hotel, so obviously not like from around there or something, you know, like how did that get where you're like, yeah, go ahead, take my four-year-old. Right. So it's like, wait, does this mean that Renee and Pepper are actually sisters? Oh my gosh. So I will say in the Daily Mail, there was a little bit more to this story. Like I feel like the Dateline really painted the Christie's like as these wonderful, amazing people that gave her the best life. And I really think that they did. But I think there was some other stuff maybe going on. Yeah. Because they just took this baby from this woman. There was no like legal adoption or, you know, it was all this stuff. But like then also she had the birth certificate. You know, it's just weird. Like there's a lot to this story that's unclear. And do we really know the true story of it? Right. And how did they know Shirley to begin with? Right. In the Daily Mail article, Pepper, again, I don't know how true. This is all fucking allegedly. But it was almost like Pepper thought that Barbara was involved with Shirley in maybe kidnapping the kids from Jerry. But it was like she couldn't let herself go there because like mentally, you know, it was like, okay, I've got Barbara. These are my family. But then not long after that, Barbara actually dies of cancer herself. So I don't know. Now, there was a whole Dateline episode on this story. And, you know, things were... I love that you tell us this. Like, you haven't told us this already. Because I haven't. So when this story aired on Dateline, someone was watching Jerry. (gasps) So Jerry found the attorney for Pepper and contacted her and was like, I'm Jerry. I was not a sex worker. Shirley 
was a neighbor who was helping watch my children. She said, my two daughters and my son. (gasps) And I had to be kept in the hospital for complications postpartum with my son. Shirley was watching my three kids for me and kidnapped them. Oh my gosh. So the attorney's like, you want to come in and do a DNA test? And she was like, sure fucking do. Came in and yes, Jerry is the biological mother to Renee and Pepper. Holy fuck. Uh Uh-huh. Who now goes by Ronique because that was her original name. Wow. So now it's like the girls have this whirlwind of holy fuck. We are actually sisters. We have a brother. What? So Dateline airs this again. So the episode that I watched, the one that's called Lost and Found, is like the whole story. So the Dateline episode I was talking about a second ago was the original. Then Jerry saw it. And then they basically reunited the girls with their brother. Wow. So they find out that they have a little brother named Raymond Leonard Smith Jr. And they actually find out that they do have a dad. I mean, obviously, they have a biological dad. (laughs) But the story takes another turn. Oh, my God. Their biological dad had been murdered. What? Yes. So in the Daily Mail, I saw that the dad had, I guess, maybe like an addiction to sleeping pills. He got in a fight with somebody over it and he was murdered. So basically, Dateline is like calling every Ray Smith like in the country and they find him. Did he know any of this that was going on? No. Because obviously he was younger than the girls. Right. Now, he had a little bit of a hard time, too. And I think had been kind of shuffled around some houses. So Ray, which is what he goes by, had been adopted by this lady, Annalee Brown and Jimmy Brown. And he did know that he was adopted. But even though he was adopted, he, like I said, kind of was shipped from house to house because apparently Annalee Brown had a lot of health problems. And so like people would have to take care of him when, you know, she was sick or whatever. And that he, too, went through a lot of abuse, a lot of neglect, and was kind of like, what's going on in my life? You know, he had a lot of questions, too, in his teenage years, and that he didn't really get answers for. And, like, he ended up going into foster care. You know, he had a really rough life as well. But Renique actually ended up being able to meet a lot of her extended family from her dad. And... Jerry says that after the kids were kidnapped, she did report it to police, but she was low income. She was in an interracial relationship. She was white. Their biological father was black and that she feels like she wasn't taken seriously. Like they literally told her like that's fantastical story. Like there's no way that actually happened and that the police didn't believe her. Wow. Now, you know, It is a little weird. Like there was documentation showing that she really did like file a report looking for them. But I think that's kind of where it ended. Again, you know, when you look at these things, they're always going to kind of paint people in a good light. But I think Jerry really did have her demons and she just did the best she could after her kids, her three kids were kidnapped. I mean, you have to imagine she was going through postpartum things and all of that. So that's kind of why the article, I think, with the Daily Mail kind of alluded, or Pepper, or Renique kind of alluded to maybe 
Barbara was maybe in on this with her because it was like they took all three kids. They gave the son to somebody. She kept Renee and then gave Barbara Ronique, you know, so I don't really know. Was it something they were all in on? I don't know. But after 40 years, they finally have some answers. 40 years? Holy shit. This is a roller coaster. It was once you think like, oh my God, she found her parents. It's like, holy shit, they're not even her biological parents. So like, there's more to this story. Yeah. I love when you're like, yeah, because I haven't told you that it's on a Dateline episode. It was like, oh, fuck. Okay. Like you set that up for me perfectly. I was like, oh my God, I could not have written a script for this better. (laughs) Wow. Before we talk any more about this story and its ups and downs, we got to talk about Miracle Made because it is a miracle you even get me out of my bed with these sheets. Miracle Made sheets really are so freaking comfortable, but they're more than just comfort. They had a function to them. And you know what that is? They regulate your temperature at night. Really? They have multiple functions. These sheets really are a five-star, highly recommend because not only are they comfortable, not only do they regulate your temperature, but they are self-cleaning too. And eco-friendly. Yeah. I mean, they just keep getting better and better and better. And let me tell you that I love getting into a fresh made bed with these Miracle Made sheets. There is literally nothing like it on the planet. Oh, and if you're freshly shaving your legs, that's even better. They're just so cool and soft and cozy. But if you are a person that runs cold, they're going to be perfect for you too because they regulate your temperature. They're not just like, oh, these sheets are cool, so they're going to cool me off. No, they help regulate your temperature. Right. So you're not too hot or you're not too cold. And that's because it's inspired by NASA. Miracle Made uses silver-infused fabrics And that's what makes the temperature regulating bedding. Again, so you can sleep at the perfect temperature all night long. You and whoever's sleeping in the bed with you, it doesn't matter if y'all run different temps because it will regulate to your own body temperature. Y'all have heard Donna say that I am a hot box. My body just radiates heat. And Colby has no trouble sleeping next to me in our Miracle Made sheets because it regulates our temperature so well. And I mean... Aside from those two things, which are so great, the fact that you have to launder these sheets three times less because they prevent 99% of bacteria is like a game changer. Yes, because I'm telling you, before I used Miracle Made sheets, I would sweat at night. And so it was always just gross. I have not sweat one time once I used Miracle Made sheets. And you know, when you're hot and you're sweaty in bed and then your sheets are harboring all that bacteria, your sheets can literally have more bacteria on them than a toilet seat. And that clogs your pores. It could lead to allergies and acne and all these other things. And again, just impact your sleep because you're tossing and turning because you're hot. And you know, no one better mess with Gary's sleep. And Miracle Made is so confident in their product that it is backed with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you are not 100% satisfied, which I know that you will, because I'm telling you, I love these sheets, you will get a full refund. So right now, it is time to upgrade your sleep with Miracle Made. Go to trymiracle.com slash creep 
to try Miracle Made Sheets today. And whether you're planning on buying them for yourself or as a gift, you can order today and save over 40%. And if you use our promo code CREEP at checkout, you'll get three free towels and save an extra 20%. Y'all, that is a huge savings. So you got to go to trymiracle.com slash creep to save over 40% off and use the promo code creep at checkout so you can get three free towels and save an extra 20%. Your sleep is going to thank you. I just like keep going back to just the level, like the tenacity that Ranique and Renee and Ray all had to be able to find their family and survive the things that they went through because all three of them had such a troubled and tumultuous. Why do I always try to say that word? But to think the abuse that they went through, the things that they saw, the bouncing around from motels. And what I was trying to word earlier that I was having a hard time thinking of how to say it without giving anything away was Ronique really is trying to work towards helping what she calls like motel kids so that they can get the care that they deserve. Cause it's like no one reported anything that they saw with her, you know, no teachers, no people who worked at the hotels, none of that. And like, this was clearly a sketchy situation and no one said a word. And so she's really trying to work to help these, as she quote motel kids, to be able to get them the things that they need, the help that they need, the resources that they need to help them be successful. Wow. Yeah, because I mean, honestly, I hate to say it, but I never even thought about that. Right. Well, and it was talking about just in like Los Angeles County, how many, there was like a couple hundred thousand kids who live in these situations. And that's just in one fucking county. I mean, I know it's like Los Angeles County, so that's huge, but I mean, put that across the country and how many kids are living in these situations that they need fucking help. Yeah. It's just like good for her and that she is so strong and able to overcome all the things that she ever came to actually go forth and help the people that are living the life that she did. Yeah. It really seems like she put in the work to address the demons and all of that that she has from her life. You know, if she had any type of substance abuse and the actual physical and sexual and just the violence that she saw living in these situations. And she really has overcome and then is persevering to help other people overcome. Yeah. Wow. 40 years. 40 years. She was, you know, between missing and like looking for her mother and the airing of the Dateline and then the second airing and, you know, finding the brother and all of that. You know, it's honestly surprising that all of them were still alive because so many times like on your stories, it's like the families don't get that. I hate to say justice, but like the knowing and for 40 years. Right. Well, and I feel like too, they just to go back to your word justice, they definitely didn't get any because Shirley died before anything happened to her for kidnapping these kids. And I mean, even the Christie's, if they were allegedly involved they got away with it but it does seem like not that this makes it any better if they were involved but it does seem like they really did give her a great life like I think Robert was in the Navy and that's why he would be gone and they would go 
to the port to like see him. And she remembers being able to like get dressed up and go to the port and it being like this whole like production of like get to see him and all of that. And it seems like she really did have a great life with him and she really was loved and wanted. But the way in which they adopted her was really sketch. Like you can't just be like, oh, you have this kid that uh, you're trying to give away. Sure, I'll take her. It's not a fucking puppy. It's a human. Right. Honestly, that was a lot of names, and I can't believe you got them all right. Well, I did fuck up Shirley's the first time I said it. Oh, that's true. But I'm pretty sure that was edited out for y'all's benefit, but I definitely called her Sheila the first time. (laughs) Okay, so because I figured Carrie was going first and she would have some heavy-ass story, I decided I wouldn't do one with, like, demons and stuff. So instead... I'm going to talk about a school, which school is sometimes scarier than demons. Am I right? For real. Especially if you have that recurring dream that you're missing one class and it's traumatizing, man. All right. Picturing North Dakota, 1944. We're in a rural place located in Plum Creek and Richardson in North Dakota. It's called the Wild Plum School. And when I say rural, even though I have a hard time saying it, but I feel like I'm getting better, I really mean it. It is a small community, just tiny. Like the total number of students in this school were eight. What? You can count them on your hand. See, there's only five on one hand for some of us. (laughs) You know, anatomy, who needs it? (laughs) I literally wrote that, too, on your hand. (laughs) (laughs) Like, we had more friends than that that we, like, sat at lunch with. Yeah. And, like, not that we were cool. It was just that we went to school with that many people. Yeah. So, they ranged from elementary ages to high school. And I know you'll get this reference, Carrie, but I just picture Anne of Green Gables. Yes, that's what I was thinking. Yes, I mean... Only even that, they had more people. Right. Literally, I thought the same thing. I was like, well, they actually had more. But yeah, I mean, this school was a one-room kind of school. Like, it was a schoolhouse with one room. I never understand those. Like, how does the teacher teach all of those kids at all of those different levels at the same time? Like, I do not understand how those schools work. Me either. But all I can think about is that they did it in, like, rotations because... Also, I feel like the students were like they had to do certain chores around there. Yeah, so maybe like you're like you're gonna do this while I teach them this, or maybe even like the older kids had to help with the younger kids or something too. Probably, but that's a lot. And like also just to have a teacher that has to know all of that, like from elementary to high school. Look. Girl, you know one of the reasons why I didn't ever want to have kids was because I didn't know if I knew all the animal sounds. Like, (laughs) I could not teach from kindergarten to high school. Oh, my gosh. Couldn't do it. When you were younger, did you have that? It was like a Fisher-Price toy. Yes. And I still don't know the difference between what a lamb and a sheep makes and or really what the difference is in those things. Well, you got me there. Clearly, you don't either, (laughs) judging by your face. No, you got me there. I was like, I think a lamb goes bah, like bah, and a sheep like bleats or, you know what it's called? Like a, like a bleat. 
Lee and William versus blah blah. Lamb is blah blah. That was very loud. Sorry, <laughs> but if sheep is bleep. <laughs> I feel like that's semantics. That's animal antics. <laughs> but I'm telling you that when my sister started having kids, that was like a panic for me. I was like, "What sounds do these animals make? Can we keep this like non-farm animals, please?" Because I grew up in the suburbs. Oh God, we know you didn't even know. How chickens lay eggs. No, I know how they lay eggs. I didn't know how they had sex. (laughs) And I feel like that is a reasonable question. (laughs) You didn't know, like, what made them have eggs? No, I didn't know how they christened them. What's the word I'm looking for? Fertilized them. Okay. Obviously, we need to go back to school because, wow. But anyway, so they're at this school, small school, small town. And the teacher of the school... Her name is Pauline Rebel. Now, she's been a teacher at Wild Plum for seven months. She was 22 years old, and newspapers later described her as a pretty blonde schoolmarm. But the past few months had been kind of hell for Pauline. Because around January, she found a note pinned to the front door of the school. It was addressed to her, and it had some crude language on it. Now, one note Pauline could brush off, but then there were more, and they got more crude, lewd, and downright threatening. Like, one note told her that she had two choices, leave or be shot. Oh, my God. What year did you say this was? 1944. Then the kids, they kind of freaked out because they said they had witnessed this tall man who is in all black, and, like, they really couldn't see his face. They had seen him around school, like peering in the windows sometimes. And then one time, one of the girls screamed about seeing the man again. And there was this loud banging at the front door, like several times, like he was knocking. But when Pauline went to check, no one was there. Now, to Pauline, this was upsetting because who is this person? Like, is he the one who's been leaving the threatening notes on the door? You know, like, so is she really, like, in fear for her life? What's going on? Like, what did he want with her? What did he have against her? But the kids were scared that it might be something supernatural because no one could ever see the tall man's face or anything. And he just kind of lurked around, but he would vanish when you looked at him. I wonder if the kids knew about the letters. Yeah, I don't know. Because, I mean, surely she wouldn't be... Scaring these small children with, oh my God, look at this scary letter I got. Right. Now, throughout the months, weird sounds had been happening around the school and just outside as well. Now, one of the newspapers described this as cat calls, but I don't think they're like, hey, break me off a piece of that little mama. It was more like a whistle and stuff like that, you know? Yeah. Like a. (laughs) Yeah. Which, again, a whistle freaks me out because you know. That one episode of The Whistler on Let's Not Meet is what my nightmares are made of. Everyone in the school was on edge. You know, it seemed sinister, also supernatural, just something they couldn't fucking explain. So now let me paint a picture of what's going on at this time as well. Because it's 1944. World War II has been going on for a few years now. And honestly, I think that's why Pauline was able to teach now and stuff because, you know, men had been drafted to go to war. And we know that like the women had to fulfill the roles left behind all the things. 
Which makes me laugh because like before that, you know, they were like, women, your role, that's at home. But then this happened and they were like, well, you have to step up. You have to assume these positions uh-huh. and whatever. And it's like, okay, so now we're good enough to do those roles. But before, no. Okay, cool. Anyway. And then they wanted those roles back once they came back from war. Yes. And did you know that, I forget what it's called, but basically like when women start entering into professions, the men leave it. So like, again, teaching used to be a male dominated profession. And then when women started coming into it, the men left. And then same with like nursing and all of that. Like now some of the sciences like biology has started becoming more of a female dominated. And like now it's known as like the lesser of the science degrees. Wow. Fuck off. Right. Well, anyway, so it had been a stressful few years going on. And now this on top of everything, you know, it was just a lot. But nothing prepared the students or Pauline for what was about to happen on March 28, 1944. So this is, you know, three months after like the notes and everything had been building. So all of this mysterious activity came to a head. And it was early in the morning and Pauline had just given the kids an arithmetic test, like pass it out, you know, like take one down, pass it around, that kind of shit. Well, all of a sudden, the lumps of coal that's in the coal bucket started hopping around. Now, the reason they had the bucket full of coal is because that's what they would use in the heater to heat the classroom. But it was March. It was getting a little bit warmer where they didn't have to use it so much. So they hadn't lit the fire yet. So it wasn't like something got hot and caused this to jump or anything. But that's exactly what was going on. People described them as acting like Mexican jumping beans. And it wasn't like the whole bucket started bouncing or anything. It was just like a few coals here and there. But some had some power behind it. And they hit the wall. One student got hit on his head. Like, because the lump of coal was just flying by. I would be the kid that got hit in the fucking head. (laughs) So while they are all trying to figure out what's going on, other weird shit starts to happen. Like some books randomly started smoking, like they had caught on fire and they were nowhere near the coal bucket or anything. So now something's happening in the classroom and no one could figure this out. And that's when two girls shrieked and they said they saw the man in black again. But again, when they looked at him, he vanished. So Pauline ran around trying to calm the kids down, trying to see if she could spot the strange man that the girls had described, but no one was there. It got so out of hand that the bookcase and curtains started to catch fire. And even some paper that the kids were writing on for the test would just randomly catch fire. So Pauline had to usher the kids outside. She tried to put out the fire, but ended up having to call for help. Now, school was canceled, and the superintendent and others looked over the place to make sure, like, there wasn't any booby traps or anything sinister, like, man-made going on. Because, again, it's wartime. Everyone, you know, is like, there's this mysterious man. Who is he? What could he be up to? You know, I mean... The paranoia is real on this. Right. Now, Pauline and the kids were sure that this wasn't the work of anything in this world. 
because they had literally witnessed things burst into flames, fly around the room. Nothing made sense. And now we talked about this kind of poltergeist activity before where fires will randomly start, things fall out of midair, like with just the talking mongoose and stuff. Like, remember, like the brick would just like, I think it called like ported out of the air and shit. Like, so this is odd, but it's not unheard of. So the officials could not find any evidence of anything odd about these coals that would make them do this. And the students and Pauline are like, yeah, that's what we're saying. It's something unseen here. Like it's getting more aggressive. And now this is happening. Like no one's fucking safe. Now, one of the parents of the students there, he's a local rancher, George Steiner. He was like kind of one of the first on the scene. And he was like, y'all are fucking lying. This is not the work of anything other than someone playing a prank. So he inspected the coal and he found a white substance on them. And he said it felt like talcum powder and it smelled like it chewing, a.k.a. all the powder that you used to use. I was about to say, what, is he in my bathroom right now? <laughs> Just kidding. It doesn't have talc in it anymore because that causes cancer. Yes. But you bet your ass I still use baby powder. That's just got to go up into every single roll to keep me from sweating. <laughs> so just picture the kids having to hit the chalkboard erasers and like, you know, like make it on the thing and be like, uh-huh. You. Huh. That's what it looks like when I get out of the shower. Yeah. Colby's like, dang, I should call her. <laughs> Y'all think we're lying, but we're not. No, when I, this is such like first world problems. It makes me so not relatable. But whenever the sweet, sweet, sweet soul, the lady that cleans my house, whenever I first talked to her, I was like, you have to know one thing though. I use baby powder. So there's a shit, like my room is dusty because of my baby powder. She's like, okay. And I was like, okay. She did not know. She didn't know, but I I gave her my fair warning and she thanked the good Lord above. She ain't left me yet. Right. Oh my gosh. I just picture people being like, oh yeah, you use powder. Oh, okay. No, Carrie like tosses it around all over her. I do not. I put it, I cup it in my hand Uh and I put it in all of my crevices. Uh Uh-huh. You know. Back boobs, front boobs, side boobs. (laughs) You know, on Cinderella, when the fairy godmother is turning her dress, from rags to like the really pretty dress and like the like sparkles everywhere. That's Carrie, but it's powder. Like I'm not lying. I know we've talked about this. Wow, I said that real country, but I know we've talked about this so many times, but like y'all just don't understand. No, and it's okay. I was really nervous when Colby and I first got together. One, about my baby powder usage. And two, that, you know, you girl, I got bladder problems. So, you know, y'all know how I wear my little poise pad. And he loves me in spite of it. So you know what? You'll find your Colby one day. Somebody that's out there like, I use my powder in my pads. Find somebody. (laughs) And I got a damn CPAP. I am just a winner all around. (laughs) Oh, gosh. Tangent. Speaking of tangents, if y'all haven't heard, y'all can leave comments on Spotify. And I had someone that I had like approved. Like I approve them all. So whatever you leave. We approve them. Like, we're going to publish them. So whatever you want to... I mean, I don't say that for you to just do, like, weird stuff. But, like, if it's pertaining to yes, the podcast, like, we're going to publish them. But someone said, not the ham cube from this past episode. Because we, like, went on that tangent. (laughs) 
<laughs> I cracked up, not the ham cubes. Oh, that is great. Okay, getting back on this topic. So George Steiner, the dad, the ranger, he's like, this is all a prank. This is talcum powder. Like, this is why, you know, all the things. But then while he's standing there and he's like inspecting one of the coals or lumps of coal, it like leapt out of the bucket and he was like looking and he's like, well, fuck, I can't explain that. Like, yeah, what the hell? Because even if it was talcum powder, like it would have to have something to cause it to do this. Yeah. Some sort of force to push it out of the bucket. Yeah. The fire marshal agreed with George and he was like, yeah, you know, supernatural, you kids say, but I'm going to send these lumps of coal all for analysis. So he did. He sent them to two different universities. And now while this is going on, school's canceled because, you know, they couldn't risk anything like this happening again. And it was a small town. So, of course, everyone was talking about Wild Plum School and how it was haunted because no one can understand how this is happening. And people had said that it was a work of pixies or fairies, you know, something that was mischievous and not overtly dangerous, but you can't trust supernatural. Like the school is bewitched. And I'm sure it's all the teacher's fucking fault. Mm-hmm, right. Well, and so like the town was split because some of them were like, no, this is nothing. The others were like, no, this is demon. This is devilish. You know, this poltergeist activity, like we can't ignore this. Like apparently, this has been kind of leading up to this point and no one told us about it. And now it's, you know, at this like clusterfuck of coal jumping out and fires just starting randomly. And then again, other people are like, yeah, and it's wartime. Like what if they're trying to attack our kids and like make us like fearful of that, but then they're planting something else or, you know, whatever, like you don't know. Now, the chemists at both colleges were like, okay, so there's no reason that we can find that these coals should or could have randomly ignited like they did. There was no residue on them. And they were like, yeah, that white substance that George thought was talcum powder, it was a certain kind of salt that was known to be on coal from that region. So like that was normal. So again, nothing out of the ordinary. They had no explanation for how this occurred, but the officials were not giving up. Like they were getting to the bottom of this, probably because those parents were like, these kids have got to go to school. Just like right. everyone from like on Facebook, everyone was like, the kids are back in school, like from the winter break and all. Like yes. so many. But yeah, so the officials were like, all right, we got to get in touch with like the experts. And so they got in touch with the FBI and they told them what was going on. They were like, can you please examine this coal? Like we cannot figure this out. And like, if we're going to say it's supernatural, we have got to like, you know, at least try all of the avenues to prove that it's something real instead of the supernatural angle that everyone else is saying, you know? Right. So they sent them the coal. They sent them the dictionary that had randomly caught on fire and some other stuff from the schoolhouse. Now, remember, I said this is like middle of World War II. I mean, it was more at the end, but they didn't know it. 
was going to be at the end at this point. So, I mean, it's like the war is busy. Yeah. And, but like the world is busy. Like everything is about world war two, you know? So the news is usually that, but wild plum school made headlines everywhere. They even made it to time magazines, science section. Like what? Yeah. Cause they were like, no one can find what caused this to happen. There's multiple witnesses and even someone who was a naysayer is like, well, it did jump out of my hand. Right. So there is this guy, Samuel Gordon, and he worked at the Academy of Natural Sciences in Philadelphia. And he was like, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. What seems to have happened is that this coal was mixed up with some fool's gold, which was combustible. But everyone was like, uh, yeah, we analyzed it and it was in fact coal. Like you're coming in late and you're not even on the same page. You know, like we've already yeah. established this is coal. You're coming in being like, got it. And it's actually fool's gold. Like, no, sir, you're the fool here. Please leave. Right. And so I know what you're thinking. Kids will be kids. It was probably one of them, even Pauline. But they were all interviewed. And one article even said that they were given a lie detector test and everyone passed. And again, we're talking elementary to high school kids. And then Pauline, she's 22, which I know like 22 was a different age in 1944, but still, you know what I mean? Right. However, after the Times article came out, there was a confession. Four students confessed that this was all a hoax because they were just pranking Pauline Rebel, their teacher. What? It started out with just little things, but Pauline was so gullible And the kids just kept building the story and doing things to freak her out. So there's something about Pauline. She's nearsighted, like badly. So she doesn't have, like, even when she has her glasses on, she doesn't have great vision far away. But without her glasses and stuff, she can't see. All right? Yeah. So she was never really able to see the kids doing anything, you know? And so the tall man in black, he didn't exist. The kids just made him up which is why he often vanished right in front. But like she could never say yes or no that she saw this person because it was far off all the time. So she was second guessing herself, you know, and every time she did look, he wasn't there. He was gone. Yeah. Yeah. Also, remember him banging on the door that day before he vanished? The students were stomping their feet under their desk, like (gasps) these four students. And the notes that you know, had started it, how you were like, did she tell the kids about the notes? She didn't have to, but she didn't. They knew. Yeah. They were wrote by two girls. One was 12 years old and one was 15 years old. Now for the coal bucket, the students were able to tip it over with some long rulers and a pointer, which reminds me of how you use your back scratcher. I mean, you're not wrong. No. And I literally wrote that down and she, I paused so she could scratch her back with it, but she will do all the things. She will point with it. If y'all ever been on a lab, y'all know what I'm talking about. (laughs) Wait, like literally she kind of paused in her sentence, which obviously we cut me like scratching my back. But I use that as an opportunity to be like, okay, hold on. Let me scratch my back. (laughs) Yes. What are the odds? I know, but it just reminds me because like if you were there and you could just like put like, pull it out like you know and do the things 
and she couldn't really see because it was something thin, like a ruler. Now, before the big hoopla started, where the coal was jumping and all of the things, some kids hid some lumps of coal in their pockets. And then they used matches to light them. And they placed matches in books, like that dictionary that was caught on fire. And they also threw lit coal like towards the windows and stuff. And it was really just a case of, you know, she's looking over there. The kids are throwing stuff over here. You know, she goes to look over here and the kids are doing stuff over here. And she can't make heads or tails of it. And then, of course, everyone's kind of in an uproar because they're living their best life doing it. But also some of the other kids, they don't know that this is happening either. You know, so they're honestly scared. So who knows? Well, the kids admitted that they never meant to take it this far, but it took on a life of its own. And then I really don't think they meant to have any like fire or anything, but it just kind of happened because this is why we can't have nice things. Not that like you should play pranks like that on anyone, but you know, like someone was like, oh, oh, oh here's what we're going to do next. Like threatening letters? Like, come on. Right. Well, and I feel like you have to at some point actually stop. Like, Yeah. You have to stop before it gets out of hand. Yeah. Well, when the truth came out, Times Magazine had to run a redaction about the article that they had posted. Nothing was ever reported on what happened to the four students who started this prank. And this case is forever known as the case of the jitterbug Cole. Those fucking kids. Right? Like, one, ruined school property. There's that. Right. We couldn't even write in a fucking math book. Like, we had covers on our damn books. Mm-hmm. We even had to make them. They weren't <laughs> even nice ones. <laughs> oh, but I did start to get, like, those cute little covers and stuff. Oh, I did not. It does not surprise me about you in the least. Mm-hmm. They were like kind of nylon, so they fit any yeah. kind of size. Yeah, they would like stretch. No, yeah. I used the paper sacks. I mean, I did on some, but yeah. This story makes me so angry. Kids are the fucking worst. Right? And I mean, if you think about it, like Pauline was new. She was younger, you know, and like they just took advantage of that. But then... This is what it is about kids. They were too scared of getting in trouble uh-huh. and having to say, we were just joking. Right. And they were going to take it too far. And it really is like, where do you stop? Like, you threaten to shoot her. Do you shoot her? And be like, well, that was, she didn't leave and right. didn't write the note. Well, before we talk any more about this nonsense of these kids, we got to talk about apostrophe. We've said it before. We'll say it. Well, the whole month of January, New Year is here and we're all about prioritizing self-care. And that means taking care of yourself inside and out. And this year, look, one thing I'm doing is I'm trying to kick off a new skin, better skin, better, healthier, more vibrant, less red skin. And how am I going to do that, you may ask? With apostrophe. Apostrophe is an online platform that connects you with an expert dermatology team to get customized acne treatment for your unique skin. But it doesn't just stop with acne treatment. Yes, it can help seriously reduce dark spots. It can improve skin texture. It can make it more luminous. 
Or even if you're like me, this dang redness. Through Apostrophe, you can get access to oral and topical medications that use clinically proven ingredients to help clear up your skin. All you do is fill out an online consultation about your skin goals, your medical history, you snap a few little selfies, and a dermatology provider will create a customized treatment plan just for you. And look, Donna and I have both done this. And while we have some things in common, like maybe a little bit of redness, our skin is very, very different. Apostrophe connected us with this dermatology team that really helped to develop a plan for our skin. Right. And it was tailored to our specific unique needs. They treat from hormonal acne, like facial acne, back knee, chest knee, on your booty booty, the butt knee, literally breakouts from head to toe. Apostrophe offers access to prescription treatments for all types of acne. So what are your skincare goals this year? What do you want to do? I'm telling you, I want to work on my redness. It is getting out of control. So I am tapping back in to apostrophe to say like, okay, I'm ready to start my skincare journey. It's really simple to sign up for your first visit and there's no in-person appointment or a trip to the pharmacy needed because all of the products get shipped to your door. And whenever I did apostrophe the first time, whenever I was connected with my dermatology team, there were a lot of different like appointment times available. So it was super easy to schedule that around my work schedule. So I wasn't having to miss any work at all to make this happen. So it's perfect if you're on the go and you're super busy and you don't have time to schedule an appointment that may be three months out before you can even get in. And then you got to make take off work, go there, send a thing, blah, blah, blah. Don't have to do that with apostrophe because it is going to connect you with an expert dermatology team that's going to craft this just for you. So right now, we got a special for you. You can get your first visit for only $5 at apostrophe.com slash creep when you use our code creep. That's a savings of $15. To get started, just go to apostrophe.com slash creep, click get started, then use our code creep at sign up and you'll get your first visit for only $5. That is a huge savings. So jump right in, go to apostrophe.com slash creep, click get started, and then use the code creep at sign up. Thank you, Apostrophe, for sponsoring this episode. Y'all, these kids are on my damn nerves, and they just let this shit go for so long, and it's it's like, it should have ended when that first guy came in and was like, whoa, what's this on this? Was this talc? Like, they should have ended it when that first guy came in. And they were like, okay, gotcha, sis. But that's the thing about pranks is nine times out of ten, they get taken too freaking far. And yeah. people can't stop it. It's like something happened that made them go, ooh, we probably should have stopped it. So then they didn't because they'd crossed that line. And then something else happens. And then the next thing you know, there's a fucking Times article about it. And then you're in too deep. Right. Yes. Well, and that's the thing. It reminded me of like how we always say, like, my stories aren't as scary as yours because it's like, oh, it's not tangible. You know, you don't know about all the things. Well, these kids pass lie detector tests. That is like, how? I'm like, which I mean, it's like 1944 lie detector test, but like for real though, that is like, yeah, some sociopath shit right there. Yes, I'm like, what does that say about these four kids? 
Because the other kids were telling the truth. They didn't have anything to do with it. Yeah. You know? Colby said he saw a video the other day of this person taking a lie detector test. I can't remember if it was on a movie or just, I don't fucking know what it was on. And it was like every time they told the truth, they had a tack in their shoe. So every time they told the truth, they'd like push their foot on that tack to like make their heart rate and stuff go up. And then when they lied, they didn't do it. So it would like level them out. Uh huh. It may have been on a movie. Yeah, it probably was. Yeah, I think that's from a movie. Yeah. Me, I'm like, oh, it was a TikTok of somebody doing an actual thing? No, it was probably some movie. <laughs> I don't know. He He's watched so many movies being home with COVID. He literally said before we record, he's like, I have watched every movie that I thought seemed even remotely interesting. Like when I got home today, he was re-watching the Dahmer series. He's like, I watched it all today. <laughs> uh, well, he probably facts. missed some the first time anyway. <laughs> That I used to love that fact, like when you're sick and you get to stay home from school yeah. and you get to watch all the programs that you never get to watch and just lay around. But now as an adult, like who I can watch TV whenever I want to and stuff, when I don't feel good and I'm just like, yes. I, mean, I guess I'll watch this, but I get tired because it's like, yes. I just want to be able to do something. I just want to feel good. Like right. it's like, I don't care about TV. I've already watched everything. Like get me out of here. That's always like, I know I'm really sick is I don't even want my phone. Like I just like, like, I don't even want to look at it. I don't even want to send you a text. I don't even care. Like I don't, couldn't even tell you where my phone is. I don't even want the TV on. Yeah, I know. That's the time that you almost died and I had called you for something and your phone was on silent. You weren't looking at it. No, you were asleep. That's not what happened. But I had left it in my bedroom. And it was the day after I had my foot surgery and I couldn't get out of my recliner and I had oh, left it yeah. in my room and I fell asleep in my recliner because I was like, just go to sleep. Cause like, I couldn't even get up to like get breakfast or a drink or anything. Cause I was like, you know, hobbling on crutches and couldn't get out of my dang chair. And so I was like, just go to sleep, just go to sleep, just go to sleep. You'll sleep through it. And you were trying to call me and my phone was in my room. And so you thought I had died in my chair when you got to my house. Yes, I, oh my God, because of course I'm going at lunch. Because even her sister, Casey, was like, have you heard from Karen? I was like, no, when I go to lunch, because I mean, I was working, so I couldn't just be like, gotta go. But like, I was like, at lunch, I am going down there. And y'all don't know this, but my uncle died by suicide and he died in a chair, like in a recliner. So when I walked up to the door and I just saw her, like uh, she was asleep, but to me, she yeah. was lifeless and she always has her phone. If you know Carrie, she's always on her phone. So I was like, I don't know how I'm prepared for this, you know, but I went in and she was, I mean, she wasn't fine, yeah, like, but she was fine. And I was I'm like, like, I'm mad at you. <laughs> <laughs> Can you please get me up and bring me back to McDonald's? And I was so mad. <laughs> I was like so happy, but so mad at the same time because like, my body can't handle emotion. And I was like prepared for the worst. And then Carrie's like, uh, so <laughs> here's what had happened. I don't even know how we got on that subject. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Being sick. Oh, being sick. And if you don't want your phone TV and that was it. Cause normally you would have taken your phone. Yes. In we there TV and not watching it. And then the, yeah. the lie detector with the thumbtack and the foot and all. The yeah. Okay. Wow. That was a, circle of nonsense that hopefully y'all followed right i hope so well thank y'all so much for listening to this episode thank y'all so much for supporting us in all the ways that you do and if you're like i don't know how to support them well obviously like we said earlier there's patreon but 
If you can't do Patreon, we totally understand. You can always like, subscribe, review, tell your friends all the things, and remember, creep it real and and don't don't get scared. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly.